I'm Alan Skorsky with Bela Sebro, and welcome to the Definitive Wrap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. I think it is inarguable that 2020 has been the year from hell. Our lives have been dramatically altered, people getting sick, people dying, people losing their jobs, their inability to pay bills, but the political world has also seen a major upheaval. We are witnessing a time in our history where a 78-year-old man with a serious deteriorating mental acuity who ran for president twice before only to have to have withdrawn under humiliating circumstances today allegedly gets more votes than any other president in history. We are living in a time where the police are treated like criminals while the criminals are treated as victims. We are living in a time where Democrat members of Congress openly embrace socialism to counter our democratic freedoms. We are witnessing Democrat members of Congress openly advocating an anti-Semitic agenda while their leaders sit idly by. We are witnessing Palestinian activists accusing Israel of training the US Police Department on how to subdue and kill black suspects and then comparing black victims of police abuse to Holocaust victims. <clears throat> what makes this even more dangerous for Americans in general but American Jews in particular, is that many of these activists are supported by left-wing Jewish groups who not only encourage radical policies and activism, but work with them to insulate them against accusations of being labeled anti-Semitic. In just a few moments, Bela will give our guest, Ruthie Bloom from Israel, a proper introduction to discuss these issues and others that she has written about so fearlessly, which is why she is one of my heroes. Bela, I know you had some thoughts before you introduce Ruthie. Uh, yes, thank you, Alan. Uh, year from hell is right. And interestingly, the last thing I expected during a pandemic, with people being seriously ill, dying and the suffering economy, that the havoc caused by hate would take center stage. And although what happened with the May 25th killing of George Floyd had nothing to do with Jews, yet around the world, anti-Semitism dramatically increased. The same thing with the election. This was an issue of you're either a Biden supporter or a Trump supporter, yet anti-Semitism increased even more. It's gotten to the point that whatever problem is occurring in the world, let's blame the Jews. Not only that, but going one step further, which we will soon discuss with our honored guest, after George Floyd was killed, there was a new exhibit added to the Holocaust Museum in Maitland, Florida, featuring photographs of George Floyd as a way to universalize the Holocaust. And our guest, Ruthie Bloom, wrote about that in a recent article for the Jerusalem Post. So I would like to formally introduce our guest. Ruthie Bloom is a columnist with the Jerusalem Post and the Jewish News Syndicate. Originally from New York City, she moved to Israel in 1977 and currently resides in Tel Aviv. A longtime editor and writer for various publications, including the Algeminer, uh, that was a favorite of my parents, by the way. Um, and, and, you know, certainly mine too. Uh, she's also a regular commentator on life in Israel and U.S.-Israel relations. She is the author of the 2012 book, To Hell in a Handbasket, Carter, Obama, and the Arab Spring, which describes the way in which then U.S. President Barack Obama was finishing the job of radicalizing the Middle East that former President Jimmy Carter had started. Ruthie, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Bela. Shortly before the exhibit, uh, people and the media 
then the media too equated the George Floyd killing by police as Nazism. Not only that, but there were ongoing riots, protests, and looting throughout the world. Not just in the U.S., throughout the world. That was just mind-boggling to me. Um, according to what you wrote was that their venom, specifically Black Lives Matter, was really directed at President Donald Trump. Can you explain to our listening audience, in your opinion, what was the rationale? And also, can you talk a little bit about systemic racism that you mentioned in your article as it relates to Barack Obama? Well, first of all, Barack Obama, who is accused by many people on the right, or at least detractors, Obama's detractors, as anti-Semitic uh, because he attended a church for 20 years with an anti-Semitic pastor. Um, in spite of that, I never really considered Obama an anti-Semite. Why is that relevant? I, Obama, uh, Obama's mentor was Saul Alinsky. Um, what, if, if I were going to hurl an epithet at Obama, I would say he was a communist, uh, not an anti-Semite necessarily. I think that Obama loves communist Jews. Um, it's, uh, but what's relevant here is that the whole issue of uh, blaming America for crimes it does not commit is part of the Alinsky philosophy. You infiltrate the uh, institutions in order to bring them down. And Obama was very successful at that in his elegant and well-spoken way. Um, so anybody who said that Obama was a failed president is wrong. He was actually extremely successful at the mission that he set out to accomplish. Now, because Obama, I also didn't think that Obama was specifically anti-Israel. What he was and still is, he's not dead, um, is anti-America. And in that respect, he's anti-Israel because Israel has the same Judeo-Christian values as America. Um, now, why is that relevant to race relations? Um, the left in America has always used race relations to stir up anti-Americanism and to claim that America never got over uh, slavery and all that. Of course, that's completely ridiculous. It's true that America has flaws. Who, what country doesn't have flaws? Um, it's also true that there are racists in America. Um, the, but America is not racist by nature. In fact, if anything, America is so... Uh, focused on the individual and on, on uh, individual achievement. That's the beauty of America. And that beauty about individual achievement is exactly what the left can't stand. And a perfect way to, to uh, highlight that is to stir up trouble mm, with right. people who consider themselves victims. This isn't ah, to say that there is it. no so such thing as a victim. There is. There's a, there is such a thing as a victim, including in America. The trouble is that by lumping, but victim, victimization is the buzzword. Um, so, for example, women, all women are victims of men. All blacks are victims of white. All gays are victims of straight. This is completely false. 
of course. But it's a really great way to get people who themselves feel that way and don't, uh, don't feel like taking personal responsibility for their lives, love it. And it's great because, especially during a pandemic, to go out in the streets and riot and loot. Um, you can both steal crap from stores and also feel superior and feel that you're doing something uh, for, for social justice. Yeah, it's like a stealing big Gucci bags, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, what that has to do with George Floyd. For the life of me, I'll never get it. <laughs> yeah, no, because, because there is no logic to it. Now, George Floyd uh, is an interesting case because he's not the only Black who was killed or beaten up by a police officer. And he's not the only one who sparked riots in America, including especially during Obama's term as president. Now, the irony is that Obama, being a black president, uh, you'd think when he got elected, you know, some of us thought, oh, thank God, now we can end this nonsense already. But in fact, the opposite happened. He did more to worsen race relations than anybody else. So you'd say, that makes no sense. Uh, America not only voted for Obama, but proudly voted for Obama, was in love with Obama. Uh, um, he, he, you know, you can't, there aren't enough adjectives yeah, they to were describe yeah. the weeping that they went off him. Yeah. You know, at Obama's inauguration. And my feeling was, I would love to weep happy tears along with those people, along with Oprah Winfrey at the inauguration when I watched it on television. But I couldn't because... His politics were so bad. Uh, I, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I don't care if he's black, purple, white, Jewish. When someone has bad politics, as far as I'm concerned, I can't support him or her. Right. And, uh, you know, it's that, that's the issue. And the, the, using the Jews, Jews are always a convenient uh, scapegoat because societies, you can always tell when a society is unraveling by the increase in anti-Semitism. That's always been true. And I think that the rise in anti-Semitism in America on college campuses, much more from the left than from the right. Of course there are neo-Nazis, uh, but, the, but the joke is they really are fringe. And what, not only are they fringe, what, what constitutes fringe? Fringe is uh, the part of the spectrum that the majority of a public, uh, denounces. And that's the case of neo-Nazis. And um, the left, on the other hand, is, is not fringe. You're talking about groups on college campuses. You're talking about mainstream, mainstream acceptance of a phenomenon. And that's what's so dangerous. Now, why use the Jews? Israel is a convenient scapegoat as well, because you can obviously attack Israel and pretend you're not being anti-Semitic. Now, some of these anti-Semites don't even pretend. <laughs> they, they actually yeah. slip up a lot of times. And when they're attacking Israel, forget and, you know, throw in Jews. They say Jews and, you know, paint swastikas on buildings and things. It's a little hard to disguise that. But the, even the 
State Department, official State Department definition of anti-Semitism now includes, which is because of the Holocaust, uh, the international Holocaust, I can't remember the full name, definition of anti-Semitism includes singling out Israel for condemnation for things that other countries don't get condemned for. And, you know, that singling out aspect. And that's why it's so dangerous. And it's dangerous, because, as I said, because it's mainstream. None of us considers some skinheads a danger to an entire country. That's ridiculous. Uh, it is dangerous, though, if you have on prominent campuses, uh, you know, uh, what are they called? Palest uh, just Students for Justice in Palestine. Now, and this brings us back to Black Lives Matter. Another phenomenon in America that is a neat trick is intersectionality. You, you, what you do is you link it, and I think this really does, uh, does apply to the whole Alinsky philosophy, though he didn't use that word, that's a new word, um, is you, you bring together otherwise disparate groups and under the umbrella of victimization. So you, if you have Black Lives Matter, there, you know, necessarily the Students for Justice in Palestine are going to join that, and the feminist organizations are going to join that, and the uh, LBGT groups are going to join that. Now, of course, not the conservative ones. You're talking about the radical leftist ones. In fact, many African Americans and gays and women are conservative politically and do not buy into any of this stuff. And Trump, in fact, uh, got much support from such groups. And, uh, you know, it's not true that it's everywhere and everybody. And anybody who belongs to those groups, I'm a woman and I'm offended when anyone thinks that I believe or hold with those opinions that I'm a victim or that I think it's wonderful when an administration boasts of hiring all women advisors. What do I care whether they're women? They're bad guys, so why do I want them to be women? I, I don't, in fact. And blacks who completely oppose the rioting and also are offended at the suggestion that they have no self-motivation or don't achieve anything. That is the most racist idea ever, is that somehow uh, a black is lumped together with all blacks and is necessarily the victim of all whites. That is racist. That is the racism. But America at its core is not racist. There was a civil war fought over slavery. And let's not forget which party uh, was the pro-slavery party. Let's not forget that, the Democrats. We do tend to forget that. But, you know, since that civil war, that civil war made a distinction between, you know, the, what America wants to be, uh, you know, between the people who think of it one way and the people who think of it another way. Now, of course, that didn't solve all the problems. And yes, there was still segregation up until the early 60s, it, there are states uh, in which, you know, that was still rampant. But that too was overturned. You're talking about a work in progress and America has only moved in the right direction. And now we're in danger 
of its moving back and having another civil war. Well, so you mentioned Barack Obama and how consequential he is. While his policies themselves were a failure, what he sought to accomplish is anything but a failure. Before Barack Obama, someone like Bernie Sanders was considered a fringe kook. No one paid attention to him. Now he's a viable presidential candidate. Before Barack Obama and Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren would never have become a U.S. senator. Before them, you would never have had an AOC, a squad. You never, and then, but Barack Obama also normalized all of the anti-Israel Jewish activists. J Street became flourished under Barack Obama. Peter Beinart, who was always mm, a troublemaker, now has really risen to the top of troublemakers. Jewish Voice for Peace, if not now, they are now considered normalized within the Democrat Party. And you, your reference earlier to white supremacists. Yes, there's a David Duke out there. Uh, after him, can you even name another white supremacist? I don't think you can, because they're not in the media, they're not on college campuses, uh, they're not in academia. However, the left, the Isla Islamists, the Palestinians, they are in every sector right. of this country right now. Uh, recently, and, and I know you wrote about this, you had the panel on how to combat anti-Semitism, featuring three high-profiled anti-Semites and Peter Beinart to say, no, they're not anti-Semitic. Um, and you've had this throughout the campaign. Uh, last year, Israel barred uh, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib from coming into Israel. The Democrat leaders, Steny Hoyer, who was always a reliable supporter of Israel, Nancy Pelosi, also supposedly a friend of Israel, they were silent while they reamed Netanyahu and they reamed Ron Dermer. So today, there is a rise in the Democrat Party, and you mentioned intersectionality. That is how the Democrats build their group. They don't have a, a core set of principles. They have sets of groups, and that's why every election cycle, you see them moving further and further to the left, because every two to four years, there is a new group of crazies and leftists and radicals who have a constituency, and that's who the Democrats bring up. So now you have the Biden administration, which you've also written about and how it'll impact Israel. In my opinion, right now with Congress being so narrowly in Democrat hands and God willing, God willing, Republicans keep the Senate, Joe Biden is gonna be tied up in handcuffs and the left is just gonna eat him alive. But this is for me a very dangerous precedent for our country because while Republicans, you look at the elections now, we don't really know if Donald Trump will ever get anything overturned. But Republicans are ready to throw the towel in. The left never throws the towel in. They're down for now and they will come back next time much harder. So I know I went on for a while, but I figured that you had some thoughts about um, some of these issues as well, because you've written about them. Well, I do. I think that Joe Biden, here's the thing. Uh, Joe Biden, everyone keeps saying, you know, he's a moderate and he's pro-Israel. Now, obviously, it depends what you call pro-Israel. Uh, I certainly, I wouldn't call Joe Biden a radical leftist anti-Israel activist. No, of course not. Um, he's an old style Democrat of the kind that, you know, hang, hung around the Senate and did what he needed to do to stay there, okay? And um, he, it's not that he's anti-Israel, it's that he is his views on the Palestinian-Israeli conflict 
are old and tired. And those are the views that Donald Trump came along and undercut in one fell swoop and proved wrong through, among other things, the Abraham Accords. Uh, what he proved by that, and of course, with the help of, uh, of Prime Minister Netanyahu, um, what they proved is what they'd been saying all along, not Trump, because Trump wasn't in politics, but what Netanyahu and his supporters had been saying all along was that the Palestinian issue is totally irrelevant to Middle East peace. And then here we come along and it's, we've proved that finally. Biden still holds with the old philosophy, number one. Number two, Biden still believes in the Iran nuclear deal, which, uh, from which Trump withdrew three years after it was signed. Now, that's what, what's dangerous about Biden is, A, that even the good side of him is not good in this respect politically. But the leftists breathing down his neck put him in a bind that make him have to cater to them. Um, not to mention Kamala Harris, who's his vice president or vice, you know, will be his vice president. And she is definitely one of those intersectionality uh, people, even though she's a big fraud because what Kamala Harris is, A, she's not African-American. She's Indian and, and, uh, and uh, Virgin Islands or something like that. Um, she's, she's, not, she's not an African-American. Um, she is not a victim. This is somebody who was raised with all the benefits and all that. She is the definition of privilege, and she, but she likes to use that whole, the women thing and the black thing. And she, you know, calls herself a woman of color and all that in order to, you know, to use that as her calling card. Right. Right. And she's married to a Jew, which makes it even worse because American Jews have completely gone off the deep end. They never were really, uh, let's put it this way. The Jewish people has always, since the Bible, had this kind of uh, attitude of, you know, let's not get the, uh, the, the, let's not anger the, the people among whom we live. But American Jews really have taken this to new heights. And so the fact that she's married to an American Jew, you know, this, this is another thing you see on social media, a lot of people saying, oh, come on, she's married to a Jew. And I said, well, there's another strike against her. Right, and um, they're all quelling because the stepkids call her Mamala Kam. I'm like, oh yeah, my God, this yeah, is what exactly. the Jews not so, are impressed with, that they called her exactly. Mamala. Exactly, no, exactly. So, you know, as I said, that, that there's the danger, but there is some good news here, as far as I'm concerned. The good news is that these next four years, just as Obama gave America the gift of Donald Trump. I think that Joe Biden's administration, especially with that, those vile squad members and others in Congress, I think that um, normal Americans, I don't mean ideological Americans, I don't mean, not only do I mean people, you know, in the center of America, unlike New York and Florida, I don't even mean that. I just mean 
Most Americans, like most people, don't pay that much attention. That's the truth, including Israelis, by the way, who have enemies sitting around the borders, all right? Most people don't pay that much attention. But when they do pay attention is, A, when they have no money, when their taxes go up, when their health care is impossible, when, and when their country is ridiculed. I think that this explains a lot of Donald Trump's uh, the love among so many Americans for Donald Trump, in spite of his loony tweets and all that, or maybe because of them, okay? Maybe because of those tweets. He, but the, lo the, the love that he's, that the warm bath he gets when he gives a rally, for example, when he holds a rally, is because he's telling them, you're great and we're great and we're gonna improve. And the other side says, everything sucks and it won't get better. And if it does get better, you know, we have dark days ahead. That's what the Democrats right. like to tell you. We have dark days ahead. Who likes to hear that? No. So, you know, I think that after this presidency, I think in the meantime, the Republicans, um, it may give the Republicans a time to regroup, to field another candidate. There are some great Republicans out there. And, um, you know, I, I personally felt really bad uh, about Trump in this respect. I think that two things, obviously if there hadn't been a pandemic, I, I believe he would have won by a landslide hands down because the economy had never done so well. And you know, as Bill Clinton said, it's the economy stupid. Um, so he would have, and then comes the pandemic and it causes all world leaders to be attacked by their publics, but not all world leaders were up for election. All right, so that's one thing. Uh, second, uh, I think that Trump made a few mistakes in his, he went too far. I say this about the left a lot. I say right. they go too far. Well, Trump went too far as far as I'm concerned in at, at moments when he should have zipped his lip, okay? And he didn't do it because he just is compelled <laughs> to do the opposite. And I think it cost him, even if, even if you agree that there was election fraud, okay? Even if there was massive fraud. I, you know, I don't have an opinion about that because I don't wanna get into all that about right. how, whether, whether that really tipped it or it didn't. But and you can't say, prove it. I mean, we know it happened, but you can't prove it beyond a right. court. So that, right. that's and, life. And the only reason it's even relevant is that he didn't get enough votes to, to make, you know, if there had been a huge gap, right. then what? But, but the reason there wasn't is that a lot of people are made uncomfortable by his statements. And he did, he just couldn't control himself as much as I admire him and I, I supported him and I supported him in print. Even I occasionally tore my hair out and said to, you know, to, said to my TV screen or my computer screen, why did you just do that? Um, you know, you, it was too frustrating, including, let me tell you, one good example of that was when he was on the telephone with Netanyahu uh, I know talking, where you're going with this. Go ahead. No, um, talking about the latest deal, peace deal in the Middle East, and he said with Sudan, and yeah. then he says, turns to him and he says, "Huh, Bibi, 
you think Biden would have done this? You think Biden would have done this? No, Netanyahu could not say, no, of course not, because Netanyahu was constantly accused of siding with the Republicans. And, um, you know, so he put Netanyahu in a bad position for no reason, right. for no reason. Okay. We're running a little short on time. Um, I would like to ask you, uh, Ruthie, please. Um, everyone is talking about the dismantling anti-Semitism winning justice panel discussion webinar coming up on December 15th with uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh, Peter Baynard, Barbara Ransby, and Mark Clement Hill. Ruthie, I just love how you entitled your article about that panel discussion, Anti-Semites Combating Anti-Semites and Orwellian Farce. Nobody seems to understand why this is taking place and furthermore, why their sponsors who support the BDS movement and side with the Palestinians are supporting this event. In fact, I urge our listening audience to read Ruthie Bloom's description about the panelists and the contradiction of what they really stand for in relation to the title of the webinar. Can you briefly explain what they symbolize and what you think they are trying to accomplish? Well, what they're trying to accomplish is, you know, they're trying to say that, that right is wrong and truth are, and lies are truth and they, they invert everything. But, and as I ended that column, I believe it's a, it's a statement I've made now for a couple, few years now that anti-Israel is the new pro-Israel. Um, it's this professing to be on Israel's side or on the Jews' side while ripping them to shreds. In other words, what do you mean? I'm pro-Israel. I, I want what's best for Israel and the Jews. The purpose of this uh, panel, obviously, is to, uh, is to shirk responsibility for the, for the atmosphere that people like Rashida Tlaib and the rest of the squad and the others on the panel, including Peter Beinart, who is a Jew, and he loves to say that it's, you know, he observes holidays and all this and keeps kosher. What it, the purpose of it is to say that actually we aren't anti-Semites. It's those other people. It's the Trump supporters who are anti-Semites. Now, it's completely false. And I have to say, you know, this is an example of the left going too far with how ridiculous its claims are. And the question is, who even will, will listen to that other than their own echo chamber? Um, who, you know, the echo chamber wants to hear that. Yeah, we're not anti-Semites. We don't. Now, and by the way, you know, in some respects, it's even true because if you take, as I said about Obama, if you take any of these people and you say to them, it's, it's not that they hate all Jews. They love Jews who side with them. They, they love communist Jews. They love Jews like Peter Beinart. Now, it's possible that behind his back, we don't know what kind of anti-Semitic comments they're making. But the fact is, it's sort of irrelevant what they feel about Jews. What, they're, what they feel is that America is evil and Judeo-Christian values are evil. And therefore, and you know, America and Israel as representatives of those values are bad guys. And um, you know, that's, that's the purpose of it. So it's all psychological. Yeah, we get the right. victimization. Right. It just, it all 
it all seems to fall into place. We have one more minute left. And um, I know our listening audience would like to know um, about your book and your motivation to write to Hell in a Handbasket, <clears throat> Carter Obama and the <laughs> Arab Spring. If you can just in the one minute we have left, tell us a little bit about that, please. That book was commissioned to me um, in 2009, I believe, or 10, um, by somebody who wanted to, wanted to have a book written like that, but wasn't a writer. And I began the book, and then the so-called Arab Spring erupted. So I, after I began the book, it was, I was a few months into it, and, the, and, and what happened was that erupted. And then I had to do something I hate doing, and that is make a prediction about something that was ongoing because the book was gonna end. And, my, and, and why did I have to make a prediction? Because the premise of this book was that Obama, that, that you know, the Middle East, that, that Iran was, that, that Obama was uh, radicalizing the Middle East. Uh, and the, no, the premise of the book, excuse me, the premise of the book was Carter, the person who commissioned the book started with the, the that Carter published his book called uh, Peace, Not Apartheid. And the idea was to rip Carter to shreds about, and to talk about the hostage crisis in Iran and where we are now. And when the Arab Spring erupted, I had to change direction and it worked because it was also true. Okay, great. Uh, if you have a very quick question, we have about 30 seconds. Alan, if you want to uh, add something, because we're, run, we're no. really out of time. Okay. You know, no, I just going to just commend you on, on everything that you've done so far. Um, everything Thank that you've you. predicted, you know, has pretty much, it's materialized. Um, again, we could talk for another hour about this subject and everything that's been going on uh, with the squad and with uh, the rise of the Jewish left. But uh, I think uh, that uh, Ruthie pretty much encapsulated everything. I mean, every time you were talking, I kept nodding my head. Yes, I'm thinking the <laughs> exact know, same it, thing. It's a pity that yeah. our audience can't right. see that, but we were like, you know, <laughs> rooting, rooting, you know, applauding you. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you so much, Ruthie, for joining us. Thank you and, both. Um, for honoring us with your time. Great. My pleasure. Okay, okay. thank you. Have a good day.